The gist is sponsored by Citrix GoToMeeting. When meetings matter, millions choose GoToMeeting. Hold a meeting with anyone from the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Get a free 30-day trial by visiting GoToMeeting.com and clicking the Try It Free button. And by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. Get a free trial and 10% off your first purchase when you visit squarespace.com and enter offer code GIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, January 27th, 2015. From Slate, it's the GIST. I'm Mike Pesca. The blizzard fizzle, snowpocalypse, nopocalypse, the disappointing blizzard. So I guess it didn't really hit, not in a big way. Well, I mean, it hit Boston, hit Worcester, Mass, 25 inches. But in New York, it kind of fizzled. Although, you know, when you think about it, if you look about the counties that are adjacent to New York, Monmouth, Suffolk, Nassau County, Fairfield, Connecticut, adjacent or close by, really walloped them. We're talking 17 inches, 20 inches, and the populations of those counties added together equal the population of Ireland. So if Ireland got hit by two feet or around two feet of snow, of course that would be a national emergency and, of course, great fodder for a James Joyce novella. But here in New York, we have the media backtracking. It's almost like uh, you're listening to the Boy Who Cried Wolf News Network This is Wolf News Network team coverage. Stay with WNN. So this wolf event did not happen. That does not preclude future wolf events from happening. We go now to live team coverage over at the ravine. (gasps) Look over there. I think I see a wolf. And over at the hedge. Oh, no. Over there. I see a wolf. Thank you to our correspondents in the field. Of course, when you think of it, for... The media, the financial incentives are so clear, right? You get everyone paying attention beforehand, and then if nothing happens, guess what? They still paid attention. You still got your ratings. The political incentives are clear too, right? You get everyone's attention if it doesn't work, like I talked about on yesterday's show. You would say something like, oh, well, you know, the science is imprecise. In fact, Andrew Cuomo said, This is an imprecise uh, science, but it is still weather." And that is the nature of the beast. There's a certain imprecision. Uh, And you plan the best you can, and you lean towards safety. Did words like imprecision, did qualifiers like certain enter the vocabulary beforehand? And of course, the media can say, hey, we were quoting the National Weather Service. They were the ones who put crippling in their press release. They were the ones who talked about potentially historic, or maybe someone else did, or maybe a public official did, but all the incentives are there to hype, hype, hype. And this is the serious point. What's true for snow is true for terrorism, is true for Ebola, is true for anything that could hurt us, but we're not sure how certain it is to hurt us, and we're not sure how to fix the percentages to the harm. So with snow, we pay attention. And if the officials get it wrong, most of us give them a pass in the better safe than sorry mode. But the other areas are much more politicized and people are paying much less attention. And we, the public, have much less means to judge whether it was true or not. I mean, with Ebola, no, there was no outbreak. But how do we even know how scary terrorism is? So what I do, knowing all this, is I just have extra respect for the politicians who communicate risk, not to scare us, but to educate us. In the same way, I respect the outlets in the media that contextualize things rather than hype, 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 hype. You you always have the out of pointing to some official release with words like crippling in it. And man, that stuff does drive traffic, just like 
quarantining everyone who's ever thought too hard about Ebola drives traffic, just like saying this is the scariest time since 9-11 draws a form of traffic, draws a form of attention, burnishes your credentials as a serious person with his eyes on the ball. But I respect more the ones who talk about it honestly and correctly. I respect and I remember. So in the spiel today... Garden State Corruption in song. But first, of all the things that you thought were hard to track, probably wouldn't put New Jersey Governor Chris Christie in there. Oh, but he is. And now there's a Chris Christie tracker. We bag him and tag him. Coming up next. I've known about Chris Christie for years. In 2007, I wrote a song about him. Well, actually... I wrote a song about corrupt New Jersey politicians as prosecuted by the U.S. attorney. The conceit was that it's hard to pay attention to all the arrests of guys like Charlie Cart, the chair of the Democratic Party, and the members of the Pleasantville School Board, and Richard Vuolo. Yes, you've forgotten about all these arrests already. So to get New Jerseyites to pay attention, I thought of putting it to the music of Frank Sinatra. Here you'll hear the Chris Christie reference. Chris Christie, U.S. attorney, bust the paws on the take. Well, Chris Christie has moved on and up to the governor's mansion, and he is now, of course, a candidate, a likely candidate for president. The Garden State's governor, so blustery that he forms his own weather patterns. Therefore, like a hurricane, he needs a tracking system. Enter the Christie Tracker. It's a new podcast, and playing the role of the Doppler 3000 radar is Matt Katz. Matt Katz is a reporter for WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. He's a frequent Chris Christie foil. It was Christie's sarcastic response to a Matt Katz question about shutting down the lanes of the George Washington Bridge that brought this answer. Unbeknownst to everybody, I was actually the guy out there. I was in overalls and a hat, so I wasn't. A, but I actually was the guy working the cones out there. You really are not serious with that question. Hello, Matt. How are you? Great, Mike. How are you? Do you think that if he had to do it again, I mean, this was before a lot of information came out, a lot of information, at least implicating members of his staff about Bridgegate, and also before that press conference where he had an entirely different tone saying it was me, a you know, two-hour-long press conference, you think he regrets that particular bit of sarcasm directed at you? Sure, because on one hand, it was played so much after all the news that this was really orchestrated by people in his administration came out that it really wasn't a ridiculous question. So then they kept playing this one cut of tape that made him look like he was offhandedly dismissing some major situation that was going on in his administration. On the other hand, it also makes him look like he really didn't have anything to do with this because he thought it was so absurd that he dismissed it out of hand. So... He probably probably regrets the optics of it, but it's also a nice alibi for him, too. How many of these outbursts, and they're proud of them, and they put a lot of them on their website and through social media as the best of Chris Christie, especially when, you know, he's yelling at a numbskull who's alleging some conspiracy theory. Man, people love that. But how many of these do you think he would like to take back, if any? He has only told me he regretted one, and that was when he... Uh, and it wasn't he he didn't even fully say regret, but he had a little maybe I would have framed that differently. And that was when he suggested that we in the press corps should take a bat out on a 70 or 78 year old Democratic female state senator. Yeah, I mean, can you guys please take the bat out on her for once? 
That might have been a little much. And they ended up making up, and he uh, there's there's a bat that he signed that's now in her office. But um, it was a little bit over the top, especially since we were just talking and asking him questions about a pension controversy. Uh, all of a sudden, he went to the bat, and we were all like, well, that escalated quickly. I think the problem, if he wants to be elected president, is that while Republicans may love it and the uh his foils and the the uh, object of his barbs are usually the kind of people that republicans hate or represent organizations like teachers union so they love they love it when Christ, christie gives them the business i do wonder how it will possibly uh play with democrats and i wonder if even before it gets to that point if republicans will do the thing like you know we can't put this guy forward on the national stage he'll never get a democrat to vote for him what I've seen so far is that people like it. I don't know if that's going to mean they're going to like it once they're in a in a polling place and have to pull a lever for the guy. But, um, I mean, I was in a parking lot in New Hampshire six months ago with him, and a woman, independent voter, came running up to him, and the first thing she says to him, I love it the, the way you talk to those reporters. I love how you tell them the business. I love how you put them in their place. And, you know, people bring up his YouTube moments. They bring up the time he called the Navy SEAL an idiot. They bring up these outbursts. They seem to love it. Now, do they love it because it's a novelty? And do they love it because of the celebrity of it? And here's that guy who yells at people on TV and now he's in front of me. You know, or, or do they like it because he talks differently from other politicians? I think it's probably both. Well, it's a good niche, but I question if it can ever be more than a niche. I mean, people do like when you speak truth to whatever they regard as power and people do like it when you have passion. But if you look at who we actually elect as president, even if you have nothing but hatred in your heart for George W. Bush, he was a lot more suave than that. He didn't go off and yell at people. Neither did Clinton, neither did Obama, neither did Ronald Reagan. I mean, there was a lot more polish to everyone that America has ever not just elected, but even nominated. You know, I'm sure John McCain has this self-image of being really rough around the edges. Nothing like Christie. So it would be a big break with presidential history, I think. Sure. Although we do tend to elect the person who's cooler. And often that has... The beer, yeah, the have come, a beer with... The guy, uh, the beer, guy. have a beer with guy, right. Yeah. And that is often translated into who's suaver and who's, you know, more presentable. But what makes him cool is is that he talks like the guy you were in the fraternity with in college yeah. or that he's when he's making fun of somebody he's really funny about it i mean i've i'm guilty of laughing while he puts my colleague who's sitting next to me at a press conference in their place but i'm laughing cuz it's funny cuz he talks smack in in a way that you know reminds you of that popular bullyish kid from college. Now they definitely if it comes to this will make negative ads of him yelling at a guy while an ice cream cone is melting in his hand. That was bad. Or wagging a finger like really vain neck vein throbbing at this smaller woman. You don't even need to know the backstory. She was a teacher, whatever. He it really seems much larger and much fiercer and his face is much redder. They know this. Are they going to, the Christie team meaning, they know this. Will they dismiss that? Will they say, ha, that's a measure of my authenticity? Is there any amount of concern about, you know, what the negative ads against Christie and his temperament could be? There's concern among his people. He says he has no concern about it. He says he's not going to change his personality. He says, I am who I am. And he uses 
that narrative to explain his background. I mean, he often tells crowds, you may be wondering who this guy is who you see yelling at people on TV. And then he goes in to talk about his fiery Italian mother and about how uh, his mother and his father used to fight a lot. And, And then he talks about how he's, you know, been so influenced by his mother. And then he segues into this very touching, authentic story about his mother talking to him on her deathbed. So he's just tremendously talented in front of a microphone. And he really, so far, has been able to turn that blustery personality into something endearing, at least to New Jerseyans. And give him credit. I mean, he has not tamped back that personality as his national profile has grown. He did not adjust his personality when he was running for re-election. The reason why he's lost some popularity in New Jersey in, in the last year or so doesn't appear to be related to his personality. It's more related to what's going on in New Jersey. What's some substance of Chris Christie that has nothing to do with the style? He has been successful at dealing with the Democrats who control the state, the Democrats who control the legislature. Now, cynics look at that and say he's only successful because he's made deals with unelected Democratic Party bosses who work in smoky back rooms and have dominated the political atmosphere of New Jersey for decades and they're corrupted and he's making, you know, quid pro quo deals with them. And that's why he's been able to get his policies through a Democratic legislature. He will say that he knows how to work with legislators. He knows to call them on their birthdays. He knows to take them out to a steak dinner. He knows to give them things that aren't you know, uh, that aren't any skin, that's no skin off his back. He knows how to do the things he would say that the president has been unable to do with a Congress of the different party. And that's why you should elect him president. Okay. And in a second, we're going to keep talking about Chris Christie as he is a man who contains multitudes. But first, a word from our sponsor. You're taking what they're given because you're working for a living. But increasingly, in this diffuse world, the people you're working with might not even like that song. But you might not even know them beyond a a voice on the other end of the phone or someone halfway across the country. Clients, vendors, coworkers, they're not in the same office. They're all over the place. So what do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You go somewhere. Where do you go? I got to stop teasing it. I just got to say it. Go to meeting. Millions of professionals in business, large and small, rely on Citrix. Go to meeting and you should too. From the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet, you can hold as many meetings as you need with anyone, anywhere in one virtual space. Share screens and present in real time. You can turn on webcams, see each other in high-def video conferencing. So try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com and click the Try It Free button. That's GoToMeeting.com for your free 30-day trial. And now back with me and Matt talking about Chris Christie. As a good reporter, sometimes we'll see you or we'll hear you ask questions that don't get answered and you keep asking and you can bang your head against the wall. But you also do have this thing that you really need, which is the freedom of information request. And I think without that, your reporting would not be as rich, but you use it a lot. You need to. New Jersey makes you use it. Take me through some of the uh, freedom of information requests that you've made and what they've yielded. Four and a half years ago, I filed a Freedom of Information request to find out who gets his publicity emails. I wanted to know literally who gets his press releases. And the reason was, in in his first year in office, they were talking about him as president. In his first year in office, there were talk radio hosts from around the country who were playing clips of his encounters with teachers. So, like, how does this happen? I wanted to figure it out. So I 
asked for this list, and there were various reasons why they denied it. Um, so I, I went to, and I, then I, I set on this journey to find this <laughs> email list. Uh, I, uh, they rejected my request, so I appealed to this government body that adjudicates appeals on records requests. That government body is appointed by the governor. So they have never ruled against the governor. I actually went to a meeting and they ruled on my case, but they wouldn't tell me which way they were ruling. It was a real incredible Kafkaesque situation. I wrote about that. I filed another request, denied again. We finally sued. And the good news is I finally got the list a couple of weeks ago. And I, it was fascinating. I found that there were 2,500 contacts on this list. These are the people that get all of the YouTube videos that have really made him a national name. There were 88 people from Fox News. There was, uh, there were people on a so-called push list like Mike Allen of Politico and other people who are very active on Twitter who can get out videos immediately. And it revealed the genius and uh, anatomy of this guy's uh, communications shop. And it's more important with him than with other politicians because his fame and success politically has come from the way he's talked more than anything else. Straight shooter. It, it, yeah. Right. It's, not, it's different from a Rand Paul who sort of made his name by having a little bit of a, of a different policy portfolio than other Republicans. This guy's made his name from his mouth. So I wanted to know how people hear that mouth. And we found out. Very sophisticated communications operation. Twice as many people in their communication shop than, than the previous governor. Social media team, YouTube, everything. Has his style inspired your style? <laughs> That's very interesting. You know, uh, he talks about when he, when he boasts of his ability to work with the other side of the aisle and Democrats, he always talks about the importance of relationships. And he always talks about the importance of getting to know somebody. He always says it's harder to hate up close. And that's why he says he calls Democrats. That's why he gets on the phone with low-level legislators who might call his office about some random thing. And I've learned from him on that in terms of how to cover politics. Mm -hmm. In terms of dealing with politicians and operatives and their aides, it is about relationships. And as a reporter, and this is their, their currency, you know, their currency is texting and phone calls. And I've learned the significance of that through him. So in that sense, yeah. Not that these make air, but do you ever have personal interactions with him that aren't tense? Yes. You do. <laughs> I, I, I uh, can't really say more, but yes. He is, um, he lets you know what he's thinking. And uh, he's an intimidating person. <laughs> so you were working for the Philadelphia Inquirer up until, what, a year ago? And if people haven't heard, and if they listen to the Christie Tracker, they'll get this idea. But you stand your ground. I mean, it's tough. It's among the toughest reporting that I hear on WNYC, which is a station that I love. But, you know, NPR public radio is pretty polite culture. And Chris Christie pretty isn't. So has there been a culture clash? Has there been any, oh, uh, discussions that you've had with your bosses where you said, no, I have to, you know, present this in a little bit starker terms. I have to, you know, really show what a bully he can be. No, I think my bosses have been very supportive about, about being as aggressive as we need to be with him, for sure. Um, and I think uh, the radio actually provides a medium in which you can kind of give a franker and 
um, more straightforward perspective on this guy because he's he, you know there's a lot of shades of gray there and sometimes it's hard to explain that when you're writing it sometimes you need to play a clip to understand him he he's poking some fun at the fact that I've moved to radio I asked him a question related to climate change a few months ago and he's like oh you're asking me about climate change haven't you already asked me about climate change oh yo now you need it for the radio this is for the radio now <laughs> and then I asked him a question I was still getting my equipment situated you know, on radio now we have we have to wear headphones at a press conference and I I missed a question that had been asked and I repeated the question and he hates when you repeat a question that somebody else asked, and he went off on me about, why don't you take those headphones off, Matt, and so you can hear the questions, all right? And then he brought it up again as he, when he finished the press conference, he stopped before he left the room and pointed at me and said, keep the headphones off. For these and other Chris Christie barbs, go to the Christie Tracker, which uh, Matt Katz is doing every, how often? How often is it? Once a week. Once Once a week. week, It's on iTunes. It's a new podcast. Mara Eliason is joining him this week for uh, the inaugural episode. Thanks so much, Matt Katz. Thank you, Mike. So this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7. Unlike some other monoliths, or former monoliths, Microsoft, they don't skip numbers, right? Seven, Squarespace 7, it doesn't come on the heel of Squarespace 2 or 1 or 5. All go in order. Squarespace is like that. They got integrity. And they also have, in this new platform, a redesigned interface. They have integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, new templates, an incredible feature called Cover Pages, 24-7 support via live chat and email. It costs only $8 a month, and you get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for a year. But if you check it out, you will find how these things work, how these things can be integrated to make your website just come alive. Free trial, no credit card. Start building your website today. Go to squarespace.com. Use the offer code GIST to get 10% off your first purchase. Show your support for the GIST. Thank you, Squarespace, for your support of the GIST. And now the spiel. They got away with it all. So here's the story, and you heard me talking about this in the uh, intro to the Chris Christie piece. Back in around 2007, I was a reporter for NPR, and the story I was assigned was some corruption in New Jersey, which is like being assigned dampness in London or something. So I wanted to do something a little more interesting with it. I also had a point to make, which was there's so much corruption, our eyes glaze over, we don't even process it. So I wanted to present this in a way that especially New Jersey residents would respond to. I would communicate all these elected officials who had been arrested, I would communicate that through song. In fact, through a song of their favorite native son, Frank Sinatra. Let's get away from it all is the name of this song. So we had the facts of a guy named Abate. What was his name? William Abate. And I recommended that he learn some karate. He's doing some time in the stir. And there was uh, William C. Baker. Let's give her more taker. As you can see, I'm a very repressed lyricist. I got a, a receptionist at the time. I was working at NPR, a receptionist at the time, sang opera. I got her to sing a little bit of it. We got an, a Broadway and off-Broadway singer to do it. And the story is, so I was very excited about this song. I thought that maybe we were taking uh, reporting on political career corruption in new directions. I presented it to my editor. Now, I had a lot of great editors at NPR. This one, let's say she and I maybe didn't gel 
we weren't copacetic. She's great in her own way, you know? I'm not assailing her, but she heard this thing. Hey, listen, maybe you'll hear it and you'll say, actually, I side with her. That's quite plausible. She heard this thing. She had no idea what to do with it. So finally, I had stopped working at the show day to day and I started working for what's called the National Desk Morning Edition, all things considered. And so finally she said, uh, maybe we'll give it to day to day. They they understand you. They get you more than maybe our big audiences would. Let's start with Bob Janiszewski Or Dan Party Chair Charlie Cart Or Richard Vuola Whose taste of payola Proved not to be very smart Five on the Pleasantville school board we may have made thousands combined. Assemblyman Hackett was part of a racket, leaving a scoundrel behind. Chris Christie, U.S. Attorney, bust a pause on the take. Joe Scarpelli had knees of jelly, just like John Westlake. Sharp James was mayor of Newark, a real graft entrepreneur. The system is broken, just look at Hoboken, Russo Zoo and time in the stir. New Brunswick Director of Housing fixed up his own house instead. And Joriamoff is quite a dilemma Took the roof, bathroom, and shed And a furnace You can't pocket charity proceeds Mayor Foy may have just missed that point And Frank Giabate should learn some karate He's got four more years in the joint Even with good behavior This sad song never seems, seems to end. end I think you know what I mean Looks like curtains for a certain mayor whose beret wasn't green. Investigation pending. New Hanover's new sidewalk. Favorite contracts fixed by James Nash. And William C. Breaker. Let's give him more taker. Wanted Port Viagra in cash. And that's it for today's show. You know, a lot of tension with the staff today. Like, for instance, Andrea Salenzi, the Just producer, she does have to listen to me tell all my stories. I, I thought she liked it, or at least I thought she was okay knowing that that's her job. I thought so. Then she told me this. I, I sat here and listened to your story and your position, excuse me, without interrupting you. If you decide what you want to do is put on a show today, let me tell you something. I can go back and forth with you as much as you want. Joe Meyer, managing producer of podcasts, is such a cute little baby. And I asked, where are you going to send them to preschool? He answered, First off, it's none of your business. I don't ask you where you send your kids to school. Don't bother me about where I send mine. Okay, on to Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, uses sometimes confrontational tones with me. You must be the thinnest skinned guy in America. Because you think that's a confrontational tone, then, I, you know, you should really see me when I'm pissed. 
You can subscribe on iTunes and give us a listen on Stitcher. Get our daily email at slate.com slash just email or the app Yo, which you download and sign up to podcast. We're on facebook.com slash slate gist. Email us at the gist at slate.com. You know, all I try to do here is have some giggles and put on a show. Who could object to that? If what you want to do is put on a show and giggle every time I talk, well, then I have no interest in answering your question. Well, in any case, thanks for... What's that What's that word I use? Listen. Hey, listen, pal. That's right. Thanks for listening. This is Josh Levine, host of Slate Sports Podcast Hang Up and Listen. On this week's episode, we talked to American tennis player Tim Smichak, who barely lost to Rafael Nadal in the Australian Open and is now being celebrated for an act of great sportsmanship. You can subscribe to Hang Up and Listen at iTunes.com slash Slate Podcasts.